0: Name podcast. I am as Jordan. With me on the show tonight, we have music editor, Darren. Hello, everyone. As, as you are all probably aware, it's time for our best of 2013 podcasts, and this is the first of those. Tonight, Darren and I will obviously be talking about music. So throughout the hour, we're going to be talking about the best of 2013 in, in regards to music. We're going to sort of do an overview of 2013. We're going to talk about some of both of our favorite albums, some of our individual favorite albums, things that came off our top 10 lists from throughout the week, um, and anything else that we feel like really discussing about 2013. Um, so, Darren, why don't I kick it over to you first, and we'll start with a bit of an overview of 2013 uh, as a year in music.
1: Uh, sure. First, um, I'd like to apologize if this call disconnects my internet. Uh, the internet in my apartment is terrible, so if I suddenly disappear, know that I'm probably screaming somewhere in my apartment at the internet
0: provider. Um, yeah, that's that's the story that I've made Darren provide just in case uh, my assassination attempt actually goes through during the hour. So, <laughs> fingers crossed on that one, folks. Um,
1: So, going into music on 2013, I have to say, this year was a terrific, terrific year for music. Um. And very often, I found myself overwhelmed with how many albums were coming out of bands I listened to and how many albums came out of bands I wanted to check out. Uh This year, we had a lot of solid bands that I'm huge fans of um coming out with great albums, some bands that I was kind of falling off the bandwagon a bit coming out with their best albums in years, and even some new artists for me, and some debuts even. Um... Altogether, yeah, this was a crazy year for music. Just so many albums came out, and I kind of hope that 2014 is just as good. Even though, if it is just as good, I might have to take a breather. <laughs>
0: um, so you mentioned two things. One, one being like a bunch of new bands you wanted to check out, and one being some some bands you loved bringing out their best albums in years why don't we start what were some new bands that you discovered in 2013 that you just really loved um whether it was their debut album in 2013 or whether you first encountered them then
1: uh the band churches uh their synth pop band they came out with their debut album this year and i really got into that um a lot of hype around that album turned out to be great if you like synth pop definitely check them out um the first Toro Imoi album I listened to is in this year, even though it's his third album. And I really, really got into that one. Um, yeah, there were a whole lot of albums I got into. Let um, me think, who else? Ben band called Everything Everything had a pretty good album out this year, right at the very beginning of 2013. And I'd never heard of them before. Um... But yeah, all those albums totally new to me for 2013.
0: Awesome. Uh, and some of the bands that, uh released their best albums in years that you've been around for a while?
1: Yeah, uh, the first one that comes to mind is my most listened to band of Montreal. Uh, they had an album this year called Lazarus, Sylvie, and Briar. And their last maybe three albums before, um, have all... I never really got into them. Their album uh Hiss and Are You the Destroyer that came out in two thousand seven, everyone loved that album. But then soon afterwards you had Skeletal Lamping, it was okay, some good songs, False Priest, eh. and then um I can put Paralytic stalks. They have such weird titles. So uh I didn't really get into any of the three of those too too much, so I was very relieved they came out with a good album this year. Uh, Arctic Monkeys, I was falling off the bandwagon a little bit there, and then it came out with AM, which got me back onto the bandwagon. Um Islands, a somewhat less known Canadian indie rock band, uh, their last album came out last year, and even though it developed a cult following because it was mellow and emotional, I never really got into it, so their album that came out this year, Ski Mask, I really kind of resuscitated them in my mind.
0: Awesome. Um, There were two albums that I wanted to to select out about old bands that did their best stuff in years. Um, And I'm doing the truly old school definition of this, I think, with each Uh of them. Both uh, David Bowie and Elton John released albums this year that I thought were were really, really good. um, And the best stuff either had done in a very long time. Bowie has actually been in retirement for 10 years. um, So this was his first album at all in the last 10 years. And I uh, the Next Day is just fantastic stuff. Um, and Elton John's The Diving Board is probably the best album he's done in eh, 25, maybe 30 years, uh, even though he's been consistently producing music throughout that time. So uh, as, as a fan of both of them in their 70s heydays, and really I've been a fan of David Bowie's pretty much everything, um, it was great to see both of them come back and do just fantastic work. Um, as you will probably know at this point if you've been paying attention to the website, Elton John... Uh, found a list on my uh, songs that did not make my albums list. And David Bowie got one of my honorable mention slots. So both of them, I think, were just in the in the high upper crest of 2013 in music. And if you'd told me uh, I would have thought of anything like that in 2012, I would have been really surprised because, you know, David Bowie having an album was, uh, wasn't even a known factor back then. And Elton John hasn't done an album that I really loved in a very long time. So those were two big surprises for me that I was really, really happy about.
1: Yeah, that is old school. I, I'm actually a pretty big David Bowie fan, although, truthfully, I'm a big fan since Sensei. You know, I have Hunky Dory and Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. So, maybe not that big which of a are, Which are classics. Yeah, I like the classics. <laughs> it's funny, with those musicians, you always hear they've done work into the 90s and 2000s, and I almost feel like, oh, well, whatever, it's probably not as good as their old stuff. But it's nice to hear that both Elton John and David Bowie are kind of really getting back into it in 2013.
0: Well, I mean, if you want to talk legacy, I would say Bowie is consistently interesting and even usually consistently very good throughout his entire career. Um, there, are, there are albums that are misses, but his stuff in the 90s and his stuff uh, when he was working in the uh, early 2000s is still very, very good. And The Next Day is, is on par with anything he did in the 90s or the 2000s and arguably on par with some of his earlier even better stuff as well um Elton John I think had a period where he was just knocking it out of the park with every album in the 70s um that period ended and he has not necessarily ever really recovered from it but um The Diving Board is his most interesting and accessible album in a long time um I feel like people who like classic era Elton John will get a lot out of this album and there are there are a lot of songs that sort of call back to different styles of his earlier music in interesting ways. Uh, so I think I think for Bowie fans, then that the next day was awesome was not all that surprising. For Elton John fans, it wouldn't surprise me if some Elton John fans had lapsed from listening to his new stuff because it's been a while since his new stuff has been particularly worth listening to. Uh, usually, there's one or two solid songs on any Elton John album, but The Diving Board has five or six that are that are really really strong. Nice. So, do you want to start getting into our top albums of 2013? Yeah, I think I think it's about that time. Um, I think we first wanted to discuss Arcade Fire as Reflector, uh, yes. which, from the little I, I know going into this conversation, I think we probably have different opinions on. So why don't we start with you, because that album made your list, right? It did. It is number two on my top of 2013 list. So it, it was very high on your list, in fact. Oh yeah. Um so yeah, why don't we start with you who who clearly liked the album a whole lot more than I did. Um what about this made it made it so great to you and so high on your list?
1: Well, I definitely have to say it, this album was a grower for me. Um kind of the lead up to the album, I expected it to be a dance rock album after I heard the singles Reflector and Afterlife. And you know, when it came out, I was a little eh about the whole thing. A lot of the initial reviews about it were pretty negative, and that kind of, you know, that did influence me, and kind of be like, alright, maybe it isn't that good. And the first few listens to, I didn't really get into it as much, but then it really did just st- start to grow on me more and more and more with repeated listens, and I don't know if that's a symptom of a good or bad album, but uh songs like Reflector and Afterlife, they to me have just been consistently great songs. Um I started getting, getting into the parts of the album I didn't think I would get into, like, uh, the song, I can uh, Awful Sound. Mm-hmm. And then the song, I cannot remember the name of it. The, the first one is Eurydice, the second one is Orpheus. That whole duo on the second half of the album. Um, I got into the song, here comes nighttime with this kind of tropical sound, and yes, to me, just over time, it's been an album that really grew on me lyrically. I think it's terrific. Uh, there's some po- songs I never still can get into, like um, "Porno," and then the last track, "Supersymmetry," is a little too mellow for me. But pretty much every other track, and even the even the tracks I was initially critical of, like um, "Normal Person" and Joan of Arc, that are kind of very straightforward rock. I was initially like, eh, it's Arcade Fire doing rock. What's so special about that? But I even got into those after a while. Um, oh, And, yeah, so why did this song, or why did this album not uh, make your copy? Of Kway yeah,
0: Kway? Uh, so <laughs> I'll preface by saying I want to talk about this first because I assumed we would have different reactions to it, um, just on the place that it was on your list and based on the fact that technically I believe a couple of the songs iteration while we're recording this though by the time it's released both of my lists will be up while we're recording this I'm still finalizing my songs list and a few of the songs are in consideration but um I'll preface it by saying Arcade Fire is one of my favorite bands making music right now uh and their three previous albums have been I think various levels of masterpiece um and I really think like just to to get pretentious for them moment. i think each of their albums is arguably like an album of its time and really sort of like summed up a lot of what both the band and like the world were going through when they recorded each album um and i i loved each of those mm-hmm. even uh neon bible which which i sort of had a lukewarm reaction to at first has drastically grown on me over the years and i think it's it's fantastic um so i was really surprised mm-hmm. when when i started hearing that that uh reflector was going to be mostly an experiment in dealing with Haitian music and Haitian, uh, like, composition styles. Because, while I know the band has, you know, um, several of its members, or at least uh, one of its members is uh, from a Haitian background, and they're all sort of uh, wrapped up in that culture, I think their previous experiments with with the Haitian sound have been some of their less effective songs previously. Um, So I wasn't wasn't too excited about that. Mm. And then when the album came out, I just, I sort of found it facile in a lot of uh, what it was examining in a lot of its messages which is something that's uh the band's been accused of before on previous albums but that i never uh found to be true of their previous work so i sort of felt like the lyrics were were fairly obvious the the melodies weren't particularly interesting or complex and it just it felt like uh arcade fire light to me which was disappointing since they do an album every couple of years and usually it's sort of a monumentous occasion for me and i, I Gets to to a new album that I love pretty much out of it. I basically had a spot reserved on any theoretical top ten list for this album, knowing it was coming out. And so I just, I ended up finding it very disappointing. That being said, oh, go, go ahead. I can definitely relate
1: to, Well, I was going to say, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, before the album came out, I was like, I'm going to give this a A++, 10 out of 10. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be better than The Suburbs. And there are some people that say that it's album of the year, it's better than The Suburbs, and I feel just look at them and be like, no, it's, it's not as good as Funeral or The Suburbs in my eyes, but I still think it's a great sure. right album relative to other albums I've heard this year. And I could even get behind what you say about the lyrics a little facile, um, because sometimes the lyrics almost seem like a self parody yeah. of themselves, especially the song Normal Person. Like singer Win Butler just trembles at everything in the world and just is like, oh god, the world
0: today. I'm just so sick of it. You com if you compare Normal Person to Modern Man off of the Suburbs, like a it's Clear, which is the better song, but but yeah. b it's almost like it's almost like someone heard Modern Man and then just like parodied it as Normal Person.
1: Uh, yeah, which to me it's just so funny that they're playing stadiums now on a stadium tour and it's like after all their lyrics about like, oh my god. Modern society, what have we become, you know? Yeah. But truthfully, my favorite song off the album is Afterlife, and I think maybe because that's the most personal one and the most heartfelt one to me. Yeah, that's probably my think favorite that as might well. Be my um, favorite song of
0: twenty thirteen. Yeah, you were saying?
1: I said that song might be my favorite of twenty thirteen. Um you know, it's just such a heartfelt song by the band it's on par with something that they would have said on Funeral, in my eyes, and, you know, Funeral, Afterlife, ooh, (laughs) But, um, you know, it's not... Their societal commentary songs can be a hit or miss, you're definitely right on that. But, um, yeah, I think this was an album that almost performed better when you divorced it from the hype.
0: I'm sure that's true, yeah. Because...
1: Yeah, and in the context, it's like, all right, well, they've done better, and it's not A++, and that was how I felt at first. And I think over time, I've gone from wanting to give a solid, you know, a solid B to a B plus to an A-, and now it's more like at the A level to me.
0: And, you know, I've got to say, I'm prepared to eat my words in a few years, because if we were recording this podcast in 2008, I'd probably be critical of Neon Bible. Um and I've come to be actually a, a really strong defender of Neon Bible. Uh, I know a lot of people say it's the weak link uh, of Arcade Fire albums, at least prior to Reflector. And that may be true. I still think it may not be as good as Funeral or The Suburbs, but I, I think it's vastly underrated because it, it's a grower. Um, and so I, I kind of expect Definitely. that Reflector might have the same effect on me. It hasn't yet. It hasn't grown on me to the point that I can say this is a great album yet. Uh, I think it's at best sort of an interesting failure um but uh, again you may hear me eat my words in three or four years and if we're talking fire album years down the line maybe you'll hear me say you know what reflector grew on me and i love it now um <sighs> that wouldn't surprise me but that's not how your endless works right
1: <laughs> i hope i'm there I
0: hope hey I'm feel there free I'm, I'm happy to eat my words um <laughs> If if in fact my opinion changes, but as we always say on, on the podcast or somewhere on the website, uh, your list sort of exists as a as a snapshot, a moment in time when we're sitting at the end of the year and thinking like, "What did I love? and What I did not like this year?" Personally, for me, Reflector didn't really make the cut um, of things that I loved, but you never know. It's oh, going to be open to critical reevaluation for me because at a certain level, I don't yeah. trust myself since I feel like I was originally so wrong on the Unbible.
1: <laughs> yeah, on that note. I notice I'm linking to all my reviews in my top 10 countdown, and I'm like, oh, wait, why didn't we give this, you know, a B plus or something like that? And it's always albums I gave, you know, an A to, and I'm like, eh, was that really A worthy though? So I'm realizing how little
0: those reviews at the time reflect like, how I feel now, almost. Well, I think our relationship to music changes, I mean, from listen to listen, and definitely over over months and years. I mean, my top five, uh, which I don't think we'll talk about, but maybe I'll I'll shout it out now because I don't think we plan to talk about it. Uh, Portugal the Man's Evil Friends. Uh, I reviewed it this summer and I gave it a, a B, I think, maybe a B plus. I thought, yeah, this is this is good. Um, and it's it's just it's an album I've returned to again and again over over the ensuing months. And it's it's an, it's an album that I think I thought was very catchy and interesting sonically when I reviewed it, and I've since thought that the the thematic resonance of the album has gotten uh, deeper and deeper. So I think things change over the months. And, you know, just like year and in lists are a snapshot, obviously reviews are a snapshot. And I think reviews are even more of a snapshot, right? Because we try to write about the albums within a few days after they've been released. So it's tough, oh, yeah. you know. There's a difference between having listened to an album, you know, I try to listen three to three four or five times before I write a review of it. And having listened to an album, you know, who knows, 10, 20 times over the several months following, you're, I think your opinions are going to change. So it doesn't surprise me that uh, some albums you, you weren't crazy about, you've ended up loving, and some albums that you loved have uh, maybe fallen off the radar a little bit. Um, that happens, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So what's um, the so next have, album? I was going to say, do you have any last thoughts on Arcade Fire before we move on? But it sounds like we're good. Um, interestingly, we're going to jump from talking about your number two album of the year that didn't make any of my lists, over to my number two on your lists. Um, and we're going to talk about Janelle ah. Monáe's The Electric Lady. Uh, so, I guess I should kick off since I love the album, and then we can talk about why it didn't make your lists or your thoughts on it. Um, this, first of all, Janelle Monáe, I think, is is a fascinating figure. And, you know, I think she gets compared a lot with um, well, David Bowie, interestingly enough, just because her all of her musical output to date has been part of this arc android suite that she's creating. This sort of alternate persona uh, she's dealing with. But I think outside of that, which I have a soft spot for uh, alternate persona, rock operas and her music is both of those things. She's doing some really, really fascinating stuff, mixing a lot of different genres, and musical styles and advancing uh, music at the same time. You know, you've got, you've got sort of Prince style sort of jazz and R and B and, more modern pop music and a little bit of hip hop. I think she's mixing a, a, a lot of styles really well. Um, and I also think she's tackling a lot of really interesting and important issues. Um so The Electric Lady just knocked my socks off. It's it's got a little bit of everything I've loved about Genome Monet, and it's got some new things that I that I've learned to love about her since then. Um what were your thoughts on it?
1: Well, I listened to The Electric Lady a bunch of times, and to be perfectly honest, the reason it didn't make my top ten is almost more of a it's more of a personal taste, a preference thing than a critical opinion thing. Like, I think it was a very good album, but truthfully, it's not an album I found sure. myself listening to over and over after I initially got it. And mm-hmm. there are some tracks that I really did like on it, like um, Rock and Roll and uh, Get a Woman and Queen. Those were all good tracks. I love it. I love the more rock tracks and the more uh, hip hop tracks that she does. But, I don't know, I think I liked the Arch Android better, mostly because it was more eclectic, whereas I feel this was a little more uniform, and and then not that it was more of a rock opera, but there were a lot more songs that were just kind of straightforward R&B. And, I don't know, and I do like the android theme but at the same time listening to the album as a whole it can be like okay okay like all the radio intervals like the uh skits
0: sure i can see so this this is something that gets talked about a lot in hip-hop um that monet sort of uses i think very well like whether skits are are ever effective on an album um for me i think they worked as sort of world building which if you're not as into the into the conceit of the the arc android suite I can see why uh take you out a little bit. But one of the things that really, really captures, uh captures me about this album is it's it's very cinematic. Um from the from the suites that opened both uh well, I guess uh both suites on the album. Um right on through I think I think she's really trying to build yeah. uh a world. And I think the skits really help me to get they sort of add some not, both mythology elements to things but also just just get you a feel of what that that this album is supposed to take place in is supposed to be like um and also i think there's there there are a few even having listened to the album 10 or 15 times um so i think it works but i can i can see why that might pull you out of things
1: yeah there weren't really any skits
0: on the arch android or the arch android no, that's that's newer to the Electric Lady, and I think it's it uh, it has something to do with with the different style she's trying to fuse. Because I think this this album has a little bit more of the hip hop uh, elements to it. But what's interesting to me is I think this also fuses the the psychedelic elements and R and B stuff um, more than the Arc Android was really trying to. I think there are more elements at play in the Electric Lady, which I know for some people makes it a little bit more of a mess. Um, but for me the way that it kind of brings the rock and the funk stuff that she's been doing for a while in with some R&B and, and psychedelia, it works for me. Um, and like I said, the, the overtures, um, I think were fascinating. I mean, when you, when you open the track with, uh, when you open the album with, uh, what is "Sweet four overture and it, it just sounds like any Morricone to me, which is a as a film geek pulls me in immediately. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. This is, this is an album that plays at a lot of my uh, my weak spots as a music fan, with its like I said, the the sort of persona that she's affecting, the narrative that stretches throughout the album and even throughout all of her output so far, and the fusing of a lot of different musical stylings. Um, and I also think like she does a really she does some really interesting stuff with considering how how uh, sort of. OCD, she gets a reputation for being I think one of the things that I loved about The Electric Lady is that it's it's looser than her previous work. Um and and even thematically, I think a lot of it is about sort of letting yourself go and having fun and learning how to how to love life as like spontaneous as opposed to the more structured way that we've seen her uh record before. So I thought that was fascinating. Yeah,
1: I could definitely see that. I mean, to reiterate, it's an album I thought was very well done, very good, but it was just more, I just didn't really get too, too into it because of personal taste.
0: Sure. And I mean, there's only so much you can do to overcome that, right? I think there, you know, if if you just don't like the style of music, you're probably not going to get into it regardless of quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I definitely think for those of you listeners out there who haven't checked out Janelle Monáe's album yet, I think it's definitely worth your time.
1: Um I agree. On anything
0: that. else? Th- hmm? I... Oh, you agree on that? Yeah. Cool. Well, then we can we can both uh argue that you should uh should check out Janelle Monáe's The Electric Lady. I love the album. Um it's something that I think will be on my uh listening I want to say turntable, but that's not always accurate. So, it's something that's going to be uh playing uh in my life for some time to come, and I think it's just fantastic stuff. With that, um, why don't we go on, why don't we move on to, some, to another album that made your uh, top 10 list and made my top 10 songs list, but uh, not my top 10 albums list, and that's uh, The Nationals' Trouble Will Find Me.
1: All right, so Trouble Will Find Me, it was an album where I kind of, um, like Arcade Fire, I had very high expectations after, you know, the... Bu- after Boxer and High Violet. And at first I was like, eh, eh National. But then over time I was like, oh, National. And, <laughs> you know, kind of stuck with everything I liked about the band. Like, There's some songs that sound like the um, Boxer, like Don't Swallow the Cap that I really love. Um, You get your quiet songs like Fireproof that have the kind of air of uh, I'm trying to think of that song off of Five Violet Let's see, what is that called that is, it reminds me of Anyone's Ghost Oh, and sure. what else is there Sea of Love, a very big song with a lot of presentation a lot of a lot of singing voices uh, hard to put into words, the national um, then you have a song like Pink <laughs> Rabbits which is just kind of I don't know boozy, and all the lyrics are just very national to me, in a way. And, yeah, even the songs where the lyrics I can't really, really get into, like, I Need My Girl, I kind of love the lyrics in that one, where,
0: eh,
1: but I really, really like the melody on that one.
0: Sure. Um, you mentioned Sea of Love, which uh, is my favorite song on the album, and I think the one that, that sort of encapsulates the steps forward that um, Trouble Will Find Me was taking for the band, which is, it's sort of a bigger, uh, more theatrical song with a lot more elements played than than we're used to in, I think, some of the earlier national albums. Um, And I think it was very effective. Um, I I really like Trouble Will Find Me, and it's one that that came fairly close to making my uh, best albums list. Um, I think... One of the reasons it didn't is is there's a, a lengthy middle section that every time I go through the album, I sort of bogs down in, which has never been true on uh, another national album before. I think all the rest of them have been sort of mm-hmm. constant, uh, you know, every, every song is sort of a song I love on uh, at least the last three albums previous to this one on Alligator, Boxer, and High Violet. It's been like every single song that comes on is, oh, I love this. Um and that that never came to be the case mm-hmm. with trouble will find me which I think has has a, a long uh, mid midsection that's sort of a little fatty and probably could have been trimmed a bit um, and full of songs that I like uh, and maybe would have liked more if they were uh, if they were I guess um, fewer of them or if they were spaced out more but I think I think I get a little bit bogged down in that album every tra- every time I try to work my way through it
1: I know this will sound weird, but truthfully, I'm the Nationals' early albums, I don't think there's been any where I'm like, oh, this song is terrific. It's been like, this song isn't bad. I'm not going to skip it. You know, it's fine. But there's been no song where I'm like, oh, awesome song. Awesome song. You know, there's always
0: a smattering yeah, no, of songs. I think we've talked and previously talked about, about our, our vastly that. different. I missed that. What'd you say? Bird? Yeah, I, I, you were breaking up there for a second. What was that you said, Darren?
1: Oh, I didn't say anything. You were saying you were talking about our uh, vastly different. Um, oh yes, something. oh yeah,
0: our vastly different tastes on on the national, which I think we've we made a podcast before. We've definitely talked about I think at some point before. Um, which is I think that Alligator Boxer and High Violet are all sort of like fantastic albums. I think. Boxer is sort of the pinnacle for me, but I think all of them are are, are really really excellent albums um, and near or at the top of my list in all of those years. Um, so it's interesting. It sounds like for you, Trouble Will Find Me was a step up, and for me, Trouble Will Find Me was a step down. Um, what about what about Trouble Will Find Me? I wouldn't me? say it was a step up or down. I think it's a continuation. But it seems like you you were sort of oh. Uh, lukewarm on their previous output, and you really like this one, right? Oh,
1: no, I've, I really like their previous output, and I know it sounds like I'm saying it's lukewarm, but for me, it's more like this album is ten songs, and, I don't know, six of them are fantastic, and I would just listen to you over and over. That, to me, is a very good album, and that gets me hyped up, and... Uh, trouble Find me kind of continues this friend i mean looking at the middle of the album you know you have sea of love This is a song i really like graceless i really like that song i need my girl and you know it's not so much a flow of the album thing where it's more like individual
0: tracks i'm like i like this track i don't really like this yeah track. it's, it's like funny to know. me as you read the track list off like that i like all of those songs <laughs> um so I've had trouble, I've had mm-hmm. trouble with, it, uh, with it because it is, if I listen to the songs individually, I think like, oh, this is good, this is good, this is good. Um, and I mean, again, I feel like, mm-hmm. it, I, I feel sort of like I have the feelings toward this album that you have had toward their previous album, which is like, I really like it, and I just, I'm not sure that I love it uh, as much as I expected to. Uh, and I, I really do think it must be an album flow issue because like I said, when you, when you read off these, al- these track names, I'm like, yep, I really like that song, yep, I really like that song. Um, so I don't know what it is. And maybe it's something that, that I will get over, uh, again, with time for the album to grow on me, but this one just sort of, um, it hasn't stuck with me in the way that all the other national albums do. Uh, I enjoy it every time I go back into it, but it just, it hasn't had the effect on me that the, the other ones have. Fair enough. Uh, did you have any, any further thoughts on Trouble Will Find Me before we shift again?
1: Oh, yeah, uh, as a closing remark, I'll just say that my two favorite songs actually might be Don't Swallow the Cap and Graceless, just because they have the sound that really got me into the National initially, which is like that very kind of fast, snare-heavy drumming, and singer Matt Berninger just kind of mumbling, and that combo to me is perfect.
0: National. All right, well, there you go. Um now we're going to move to one that I think is, again, less controversial. I know for you, uh, I believe this is your number one album of the year. And for me, this one made my uh, songs list, but not my albums list. And that's uh, Vampire Weekend's Modern Vampires of the City. So I'll kick it to you to start off our conversation of that one, because that is your number one album of the year, right?
1: Yes. And when I... Figured out that this was going to be number one album of the year. I was kind of like, wait, really? But to be honest, it was more of a, there's no albums of the year that I liked more as a whole than this album. More than it was like, this is definitely album of the year. I mean, it got an A rating. I really liked it when it came out. But at the same time, it was like, well, I guess my number one album of the year was Vampire Weekend. I can't think of any other albums that
0: were better (laughs) than it. So it's
1: sort of not. So I know that's not kind so of much. Not so much that
0: you loved the album, just that you loved it more than anything else in 2013.
1: Yeah, and I do love the album, but you know, it's also like uh, I love it because nothing else came better. I mean, objectively, any of the year would have made the top ten, but it's like, oh, this is the best album I've heard in 2013. More than, like, this is number one stuff right when it came out. Fair enough.
0: Um, so what is it that, that sets it apart and makes it your favorite album of the year?
1: Um, well, truthfully, it comes down to the tra- to the fact that there's no real tracks on it that I really dislike, except for maybe, I don't know, one or two. And to me, there's so many just really good tracks on it that are, they're catchy, they're clever. Um, I, there's, it's just a very, very strong album to me. And even though there's like, you know, when I was writing in a review of it at first, I'm like, all right, there's flows here, here, and here. It's just one of those things where when you think of it, the first things that come to my mind are all the great things about it, like how many amazing tracks there are in a row on it. Like, Unbelievers, great song. Step, great song. Diane Young, great song. You know?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And also maybe it's the fact that...
0: Yeah, Diane Young. Diane Young is, is the song that made my um, top ten songs list. Interesting choice. I have to
1: say my favorite song, of Young. The great song. Step. Yeah, Diane Young is a really good song. Uh, I'm a big fan of the video. Chromio makes a cameo in it. Um, (laughs) But yeah, Modern Vampires of the City. One of the things I think I really like about the album is lyrically how clever it is. Because there's so many random allusions that they make, and I don't know, just random places they name drop, historical figures and facts. It's just so weird. Like, a lot of the songs have to do with um, religion, and the way they present how they feel religion is, is just kind of very, I don't know, it's very weird for an indie pop band to do it like that. Like the song yah it's supposed to be a, uh, you know, them saying Yahweh, Mm -hmm. and all the song is about God, so I think it's a very clever album for an indie pop band that has such a following to make.
0: Fair enough, yeah, I mean, I think I'd never been a big vampire weekend guy until modern vampires in the City, which I really do think turned me around and which was for a long time in the running to make my best albums uh, of the year like uh so as someone who who hasn't really been a fan of the band before, this was maybe a turning point and something that that really pulled me in I think with their with their previous albums, I've never disliked them, and I mean they're all around on my iPod or you know. Something I'll listen to occasionally, but they've never—I've never really connected with the band until Modern Vampires of the City. Uh, were you a fan of them before this album?
1: I was actually a huge fan of them before this album, especially their self-titled debut. I mean, yeah, it has the whole Afro-Caribbean beat thing going to it. Um, you know, its simple pop songs that kind of got that weird preppy, rowy appeal almost. And it's just all these things that I thought would really, really turn me off about indie music. But then I listened to it and I'm like, these are really good songs. And I've listened to Vampire Week and Self Title Album a ridiculous number of times, Contra a whole bunch of times as well. Even though I was like, oh, that's a good album. But honestly, I was a huge fan of them before. And I would. They're one of the very few bands where I would just listen to all of their music on shuffle and not care what song came up next.
0: Yeah, and that's I mean that's that's a rare thing. So it doesn't surprise me then that, that you liked Modern Vampire City as much as you did. If you're if you're a big fan of the band already, I think uh do you how do you think it stacks up? Because I, I obviously think it's it's their best stuff, but I'm interested to see someone who's been a sort of a dead fan from way back when. I think it's
1: above contra and on par with Vampire Weekend, the titled album. And it's a little is different than Vampire Weekend, so it's kind of hard to compare them exactly in terms of quality. Vampire Weekend's self-titled album was very kind of simple pop songs. They had the clever lyrics, but it was, all in general, a very short, to-the-point album. They they had a lot more of the whole um, Caribbean influence going on. It was almost a little gimmicky. Whereas this album, Modern Vampires of the City, is a lot more no-frills, straightforward. some songs almost have that indie broke pop feel to them that you would get from a band like Arcade Fire or the Decemberists. So to me, I think it's like, a lot more mature, it doesn't really have the whole uh gimmick of we're a bunch of New England type bros and polo shirts singing, you know, Peruvian music feel to it.
0: Yeah. Uh, fair enough. Did were there were there further thoughts you had on Vampire Weekend before we move on?
1: I think that sums it up.
0: Alright, I'm gonna take a, a second now before we move into the albums that made both of our lists and give a shout out to the album that was my number one album of the year, um, Frightened Rabbits Pedestrian Verse. Uh this is this is an album I've listened to, I think, more than any other album this year. It it came out early in the year and it's something that that has sort of been my my de facto number one since its release. You were talking about how uh, the City was sort of not that for you and sort of defaulted in just because you couldn't find anything you liked better. For me, Pedestrian Verse has been the album to beat basically since its release. Um, I've been a Frightened Rabbit fan for years, and I, I like all their albums a lot. Uh, love a, I love a few of them, but I think Pedestrian Verse is the album that I just could not stop playing. Um, it was the only thing I listened to for weeks after it came out, and it's you know it's been something that I go back to again and again throughout the year I just I, I love it to pieces and um it's got a little bit of everything the band does well it's got some of their their more upbeat stuff and a lot of their slower ballads it's just it combines a lot of elements that I think have been sort of disparate throughout their other albums and and comes up with something brand new and and it's of a piece with their previous work but it's got a different vibe to it um so I just I loved the album had had you listened to it
1: uh no I've not listened to that I truly <coughs> haven't listened to Vamp- Um frightened Rabbit too too much honestly I know you might hate me for saying this I gave them a try uh, a few years back and I
0: never really got into their singer's voice that much <laughs> but I feel awful saying that knowing how much you love them sorry well no no no. hey disagreement that's uh, it's more interesting I think than if we just both loved the same albums right um. Which album did you did you give a try, if you can recall? Uh, Sing the Great. Okay. Um, I would say perhaps not their most accessible album. I would I would advise I'll proselytize for Pedestrian Verse as that for anyone who hasn't listened to a lot of them because I feel like it almost works as a Rosetta Stone for me, even as a fan. Um, after having listened to Pedestrian Verse a bunch of times, I went back to all their previous albums and I saw them in in complete new light and. I enjoyed them even more than I had before just because I loved this album so much and it sort of finally made me connect with Frightened Rabbit in a way I've always liked them as a band but I don't think they ever made the cut quite to that upper echelon until this year and um so I'd say if you if you ever feel the urge to give uh Frightened Rabbit another try I would start with Pedestrian Verse and then maybe work your way back from there because it's got it's got a lot to to offer um and it's got a lot of various Uh, it's got a lot of examples of all their various styles, I would say. So I'd check it out if I were you. Um, Maybe you'll hate it. And then we can talk about that. Um, But maybe you'll, you'll finally love it. And then, you know, we can reconcile and talk about our, our joint love of frightened rabbit. Um, I just wanted to, to give that a shout out before we move on to the happy part of the podcast where instead of saying like, I didn't like this as much as you, or you didn't like this as much as me. We talk about two albums that I think we actually ranked at the exact same spot on our list, right? Um, Why don't we start with the the album that was uh, number eight on both of our lists, if I recall correctly. And that's Kanye West's Yeezus. Uh All right. I'll kick to you first, and you can talk, talk a little bit about what your thoughts on that were.
1: Right. So with Yeezus, I originally gave it kind of a very, yeah reception. Um, I really didn't get into it at first. um, A lot of the lyrics kind of bothered me, the whole minimalist presentation to it. And it was an album where I'm like, at first I was like, this is great. And then I'm like, uh, uh, over time. But maybe because one of my really close friends honestly guilted me for not liking it and lobbied pretty much every single day to this date. And you'll see... I will see him tomorrow for not giving Jesus the number one slot. He will go on many and all caps rent to me. Um, he slowly had to kind of build it up for me, place it in the context of Kanye West's work, and tell me how to listen to it almost. And I don't know, that makes it sound very pretentious, and I bet Kanye West is smiling
0: somewhere, knowing that two people are talking about him. <laughs> um, I imagine Kanye West always thinks at so, least two people are talking about him. Yeah, it's
1: so hard to divorce the music from his public persona as, like, this crazy ultra-narcissist guy. I think that, actually, trying to divorce the music
0: from his persona is a mistake. I feel like the music exists as part of his persona. It does, but at the same time, his persona is just, like, so ridiculous that,
1: you know, you listen to a song, you're like, oh, God, it's this guy.
0: Well, one of the reasons that I uh, initially was sort of lukewarm on Jesus is... For me, the the apex of previous Kanye stuff has been my Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Um, and I love that album so much because yeah. it's, in a lot of ways, a deconstruction of his public persona and it's sort of laying bare a lot of his insecurities about that. Um, and I found that fascinating. And also, I, I sort of enjoyed his musical experimentation and the lushness of that album. But that's... Um, to me, that's the hymne. I mean, just is sort of the exact opposite of the spectrum uh, from that. I think a Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is this very tightly controlled, very uh, manicured um, album that's sort of, you know, very lush, very complex, and that he exercised a ton of control over, whereas Yeezus is sort of him cutting loose. I think it was recorded pretty much quicker than anything he's done before and with a lot less control, with a lot less uh, um, focus on this perfect vision. And in that way, it's sort of like uh, what I liked about Janelle Monáe's The Electric Lady, which is it's It's a very controlled and controlling artist sort of letting loose. And there's a lot of um, wildness to to Yeezus that really I found appealing. And it's also, like, if My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is a deconstruction of a lot of Kanye's Kanye's persona, I think Yeezus is sort of a celebration. of. It's going to be off-putting for some people, I think, but I just found charming.
1: I see that. I think it is a little more relaxed and less, you know, it's less controlled than... My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. But at the same time, I see it as more of... I don't know, personal and more introspective than My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Like, I think this is... That's kind interesting. Of Kanye West more coming to grips with his own insecurities, like, where he is in life. And you, I think you hear that more in the lyrics on the album. Like, uh... Just, there's a lot more lyrics just about him in jail. And... You know, not all the times it's, you know, him going over the top bragging. But it's more like him being like, you know, I don't know, I'm scared or I'm angry. Things like that.
0: See, I think My Beautiful Dark is Fantasy did a lot of that for me. Um, that A lot of that album was was letting us inside uh, the mind of Kanye. And I think there is there is some of that on Yeezus, but I feel like Yeezus was more a return to... to the posturing that Kanye does um and in some ways, I think that it's a different sort of posturing and a different sort of persona after my beautiful dark of fantasy, and it is one that allows for more introspection but I think there's a i think Jesus is a lot more explosive in a lot of ways um and that reminded me more of more of vintage Kanye but i can see I can see how you might how you might see it as introspective,
1: yeah, especially on um like, I think the songs are more told from his, I don't know, more actual perspective. Especially, like, I don't know, the song Bound To comes to mind when I say that. Sure. Whereas, you know, songs like I Am A God, I think they're more, I don't know, just his persona and that whole
0: satirical. Almost but, it's satirical. So, but it's so gleeful. Uh, and, You know, I can't yeah. do anything but love I Am A God because he's just oh, clearly having like, well, so much fun with it. Yeah, I can't even tell if he's serious or not anymore. And you know, I I don't know that it matters all that much. It's just, it's yeah. such, it's rap at the top of its game, I think. I mean, he's he's just, he knocks that out of the park uh, throughout Yeezus, but I think I Am A God is, is one of my favorite tracks in the album just because it's it's a him song? playing with and embracing his persona in a lot of ways. And I, I, I just found it fascinating. Uh, and it's just a, a blast of a song in addition to that.
1: I think one of the things that really drove me to the album isn't so much necessarily the lyrics, but the beats and the production. Like sure. I'm I've been getting more and more into electronic music, so you know, when I first hear on site, I'm like, Oh, this is great, the you know, the whole bloop loop 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 thing and then when it cuts to the you know, the choir and then immediately cuts back. I really am fan of that, like, you know, down to it goes between the sample of the soul song and then uh, the singer Farley yeah. Wilson, then immediately
0: mm-hmm. comes back. I think that's sort of emblematic of the uh, the roughness that I was talking about earlier, which is like it. This album feels a little bit more stitched together, and it, it it's almost as if Kanye is letting us see the seams in a way that I don't think his previous work really has. Um, and I liked that. Oh yeah, I really like that. It does. It feels it feels raw. Um, and and I. I don't know that it necessarily made it easier to engage with for me because I, I really engaged with My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, I think. But but it was definitely uh, an album that sort of pulled me right in and and pulled me in, in in different ways than My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy, but probably to a near equal degree. Uh, well, maybe not exactly, because I think My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy is still the, the top Kanye album for me. But mm. I... He is one that I liked right off the bat, and I've sort of grown fonder of it uh, as the years gone on.
1: Yeah, I've kind of... It's an album that I've just kept going back to. Like, oh, maybe... And I always, for some reason, I always listen from the beginning, or listen just to Bound 2 at the end. But, um, yeah, I've gone back to it a lot of times. It's really grown on me. You know, every time, sometimes I feel like I catch something I didn't notice before, and that's always good.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot, there's a lot in this album and that, uh, in that way, at least it, re- it regards repeat listens, even if, you know, you're not as uh, fond of it as we are, because I think there are a lot of layers and there are a lot of different, different things that Kanye is playing with, um, to arguably variable levels of success. But again, I think part of the charm of this album is that it's, it doesn't feel as, as clean and as, as plotted out as his previous stuff has. It feels more like he's throwing a lot of things at the wall and seeing what sticks.
1: Definitely, and that's, that is something I really like
0: about it. Uh, any final thoughts on that before we move on to, I think, it will probably be our, our last album, because we want to stay as close to time as possible? Um, uh, no. Let's go right into Volcano Choir. That's right, the the final album. And it's is it number six on both of our lists? It, it is on mine. Yes, it is. Wow, so that's... It's interesting that these two happen to be at the exact same spot on our list that are otherwise completely different. But um, we spoke album. about. Hmm? It's a very six album. Yeah, it feels like a six. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of a sort of a synesthetic response from us. This it, it just felt like a six to me. Uh, but we talked about Volcano Choir uh, previously on the podcast when it was originally released. Um, so I don't want to retread too much, but I do want to. Talk
1: about what you think about this. made this album stand out and how you think it fits into the context of 2013. Sure. Um, so 2013, sadly, was missing a Bonnie Iver release, something we haven't had since 2011. And truthfully, I haven't been listening to too, too much folk lately. I feel like I'm very picky with my folk bands, and I don't listen to too many. And I wouldn't even classify Volcano Choir as folk. Even though it's very tempting to do so, because you know Justin Vernon is a singer, but I like it because it's not just you know oh this is my folk requirement. It's like it's folkish, but it has something very distinct to it that weird experimentation that separates uh, Volcano Choir from Bonnie. There, and you know the irregular beats, the ambient parts, the I don't know, the vocoder use on this album. And that's something that really draws me to it and separates it from, I don't know, puts it in between two genres that i really, I'm kind of picky with.
0: Yeah, I think, I think we talked last time about the way that it, it sort of is more of a Boney Bear album than uh, the previous Volcano Choir album, but it also, it retains a lot of Volcano Choir's uh, particular, Sound and sense of ambient, uh, ambiance, and sense of um, melody. Like, I think I think it it is pulled closer on the spectrum to a, a Boney Bear album, but it still it still feels very much like something that Justin Vernon wouldn't have done uh, by himself or with the other members of Boney Bear.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I first heard it, I was like, oh, this could have been Boney Bear's third album. And then I listened to it more, and I'm like, well, not exactly, but. I think it all depends on how you see Bonnie Bear. Like to me there was a pretty big gap between for Emma Forever Ago and Bonnie Bear's uh second album, Bonnie Bear, Bonnie Bear, or I can't remember.
0: Bonnie Bear, Bonnie Bear, or just Bonnie Bear self titled. <laughs> I believe it's just self titled. I think we've had this this uh trouble before. <laughs> God, stupid Wikipedia. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> yeah, so his second uh self titled album there was all the synthesizer parts. There was that one song that sounded like uh, Phil Collins, more or less, at the very end. And it was yeah, a pretty big gap was. musically between uh, the debut and the second album. So it wouldn't be too far fetched to me to say that this could have been his third album. But at the same time, it is distinct in its own way. In that it also does sound a little like Volcano Choir.
0: And, um, any other any other thoughts you have on volcano choir as as an album I yeah like i said I, I don't want to spend too much time retreading things we talked about before but um I feel like for me this album like you said it it sort of it fills the uh bony void but it also it gave me something different and new um I wasn't crazy about volcano choir's first album I thought it was good um and it was interesting, but I don't know how effective it was and I think I think Repave sort of solved a lot of the problems that I'd have with the first album by moving a little bit closer to uh, Justin Vernon's other stuff on the spectrum, but by really maintaining its sense of self.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Same thing. I didn't really get too into their debut album on that. I was like, oh, this is like Bon Iver meets Rose. And I'm like, eh, some of these songs are just too out there. And are <laughs> just them, like, chanting in the woods or something. But, yeah, Repave is a lot more accessible. It's a lot more, you know, standard. But in a very good way. It's, like, it's almost like Justin Burn's like, huh, people like Boney Bear. Maybe they like Volcano Choir a lot. And, and I can get more fans if we, you know, have standard song structures. And less weird wind <laughs> chime noises in them.
0: All right, so I guess we should maybe wrap up the, the Volcano Choir talk there. If you want to hear Darren and I talk more about Volcano Choir, we did so on an earlier podcast, um, so you should go ahead and track that down either on iTunes or at the website because um, I think we had, a, we had a more in-depth discussion there. Like I said, we don't really want to just repeat here for you. Um, were there any final thoughts on 2013 and music you wanted to provide before we shut things down, Darren? Um, not really. Just good year all
1: around. Um, maybe as a closing rem- remark, I will say two Chill Wave albums made my top ten Tori Ma and Washed Out.
0: So, great year for Chill Wave. I was going to say, I, I, I don't even know that I know what that means. <laughs> um, yeah, we've talked previously about the fact that Chill Wave sort of confuses <laughs> me as a as a title, but I feel like there are a lot of mini genres and subgenres that get a lot of names that don't necessarily track for me. But um, I would I would direct listeners who want to hear more about what Darren and I loved in 2013 to check out ReviewMeName.com where both Darren and I have lists of our favorite albums and favorite songs from albums that didn't make our albums lists up. Um, and you should also uh, feel free to yell at either of us. Um, you can comment on our lists at ReviewMeName.com you can uh, follow us on Twitter. You can follow Ruby Named on Twitter at Ruby Named. Um, You can email us at Named at gmail.com. And generally, in any way you'd like, you can tell us about what you think we got absolutely right about 2013, what you think we were completely wrong about, and albums that you think we just totally missed, because I guarantee you there are plenty of albums out there, and if Rachel had been able to make it tonight, I think her entire list would have been albums that you and I haven't listened to um, or yeah, mostly that I haven't listened to, and a few that I hadn't even heard of. Um, so that's always always a danger, I think, of music is there's just there's so much that it's impossible for us to be comprehensive. But uh, I think we we've done our, uh, a decent job of talking about the things that we pulled off of our our joint lists here on the podcast. Those of you who want to hear more and read more should check out the website where our full lists are posted. Um, with that. We will be back next week with a Best of Comics 2013 podcast. Um, And like I've said before, the podcast will be released on Friday throughout the rest of December so that we can talk freely about things that made our lists after they've been posted for all of you to read. Um, So we'll see you back here next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.